0: This is Mental, the podcast to destigmatize mental health. I'm Bobby Temps. I'm Danny Hogan. Each Thursday, we delve into a factor or condition that influences the mind and how to better manage it. With special guests and stats you can trust, here we go. This week, we're talking all about the concept of the normal life and how this can be a factor in our mental health. And this is something that's, of course, come up. On the show before. We talk a lot about expectations of what our lives should be, what our mental health should be, ideas around happiness, and ways that our thinking can be quite restrictive by certain expectations we internalise and certain indeed stigmas that we internalise. So I was delighted to talk to this week's guest, Iphia Salter, who is a mindset and manifestation coach, neurolinguistic programming practitioner and host of the Manifestation Edit podcast. And side note there, we did previously do an episode on NLP. So if you want to find out more about that approach, do scroll back in our pod feed. But in today's episode with Ifia, we really unpack the kind of expectations that we can grow up with and really what happens when I think many of us from very young in our lives can realise, oh, maybe normal isn't where I'm at. Maybe the normal life isn't possible for me because my experiences so far haven't fitted into a narrow idea of normality and how that can leave us feeling really lost and affect our, you know, hope for the future and our self-esteem and of course our mental health. So without foreshadowing too much of what we have to say in the conversation, I'm so excited to share this episode Ifia was someone I really connected with in terms of her approach to talking about mental health, her openness and honesty in the conversation that we shared, and I connected a lot with similarities in our experiences, so I'm sure a lot of you will as well. With that all said, we'll get into this interview with Ifia Salter in a moment, but first, who's our sponsor? Let's find out
2: I'm fear, and about a year after my mom passed away, I remember going to the doctors. One of the first times I'd gone to the doctors by myself without a parent, and I was having trouble sleeping at that time. So I went there thinking I was going to get some sleeping pills and it was going to be an easy in out appointment. Obviously, that's not really how it works with prescribing drugs like that. And so I went in there, and she asked me to describe some of the experiences I was having, and I was talking about being up at night, worrying about things and just having this pervasive sense of impending doom and not sleeping very well. And when she said to me that it sounded like depression, I was really taken aback. And it was something that, especially at that time, so when I was 15, was about 13 years ago now, there wasn't a lot of talks about mental health, there wasn't talks of depression, anxiety, certainly not when I was at school. So it was such a foreign concept to me and also something that at that time, even though it's still stigmatized today, was even more stigmatized and was something that I completely had no no awareness around.
0: Mm-hmm. No, I can see that and it's similar in a way to some of my own experiences where I knew I had depression, but I was so nervous of having like read up on it to the extent where I thought I was going to go into the GP and just regurgitate the list of symptoms and therefore get a, a sort of biased diagnosis. I know mental health professionals are, are more intelligent than, than my younger self was giving them credit for, but yeah, so I, I was fully expecting to potentially have that experience of going in and and getting sleeping pills and talking about that kind of side of things. And when you got that diagnosis, do you remember where your brain was at walking away from that appointment and how much you were able to take that in? I was just
2: really confused and taken aback because it was a real sense of shock for me. At that time, after my mum had passed away, because my sister and I had been in the care system when my mum passed away as a single parent, that we had the potential to go back into the care system. And when you're 15, 14, going back into the care system, it's not the same place it is when you're a cute two or three-year-old and everyone wants like a baby or a toddler. Like the prospect of going back into the care system at that age is incredibly daunting. And there is pretty much zero chance that you're going to be adopted again. And so having that experience, I felt like the fact that we didn't go back into the care system and that we were lucky enough to stay with a friend's parent made me feel like I had to maximise every experience I had and I couldn't let myself fall behind in any areas. I couldn't even process my grief in some ways. And I remember the mm-hmm. day when we actually found out that my mom passed away. It was, it was around midnight. And then that same day when 8am rolls around, we both just go to school like nothing has happened because we're like, well,
0: we can't fall behind. Whew. Wow. And I can only imagine how, how do you process that anyway, let alone when you have this fear of I need to perform and I need to be a good kid in order to keep some semblance of stability that you just aren't going to get through care and being old enough to have an idea of just what your prospects would be like if you went back into it.
2: Yeah, I would say that's exactly it. And it's definitely not something I've faced in my life until I was a lot older and you know this the school does try and do things and they have like school counselors and something that a lot of people don't talk about especially if you're just this is your first time like maybe seeing a therapist or going to a therapist is that it's not always necessarily the first person you see and it's very much like a friendship or another relationship in that you have to find someone you really click with which is something I experienced throughout many points in my life but especially that first time I remember feeling really uncomfortable and I don't know if this is actually against like the the rules of therapy but that school therapist that I saw we went and saw them externally And I remember I went in there and she hugged me and was like, oh, you've been through a lot. And it made me feel really uncomfortable that she knew stuff. And obviously they have to give them some understanding and some awareness. But it felt like I didn't get to share on my own timeline and on my own terms. And that made me really uncomfortable. And also, I guess, shaped the way that I shared things with people moving forward.
0: Yeah, no, I can see that. and. It's such an important relationship to get right. You're so spot on there that it it is like any other kind of relationship. And in many ways, it can be the most important relationship to you at certain points in your life. Particularly, I mean, I can certainly speak for myself, not having certain feelings of stability in relationships growing up and a lack of kind of consistency. My counsellor is one of the people that's really provided that and within that, you need clear boundaries. And so you not having the opportunity to, to lead with your own story and tell it in your own words. I can't speak for all types of therapy, so I can't say whether or not that was wrong within their discipline. You know, I certainly know whenever I've met with a new therapist, the starting point has been So what would you hope to talk to me about? You know, what kind of things would you like to work on? Even though oftentimes you've already called them or emailed them or made some kind of contact where you've given some of the information, it's still that kind of clean slate. And starting off by telling you what they know and hugging you, which is crossing a big boundary potentially. Mm, I, I can see why you're uncomfortable. And so with that experience, did you continue seeing that person or or was there another route for you
2: no I didn't continue seeing that person and it was actually a long time until I did go to therapy again and throughout school I was just like okay well this is just something that you kind of deal with on your own that you're going through on your own and obviously around that age as well although your friends want to be there for you it's quite a difficult concept for kids to get their head around. Like, we're all kids ourselves. You don't really know how to support someone else in that. Even as an adult, it's difficult to support your adult friends through going through something like that. And so I had been kind of just getting to grips with the fact that my mom had passed away. And then six months down the line, like my only remaining family member outside of like my sister and my brother was my gran. And my gran unexpectedly passed away one day. And then a year after that, my friend at school passed away. And I just felt like I had experienced like so much grief and trauma, but my way of processing it was just like working. And especially because I didn't have parents, a way that I did get a lot of recognition was through good grades. So I attached my self-worth to getting good grades at school. And then that kind of had a knock-on effect of feeling even more need to perform and even more need to be good. And then it would really negatively affect me if, and I remember... One of my teachers really went out of her way to support me, especially after my friend from school passed away in a really, like, unexpected, horrible incident. And one of my registration teachers kind of took me under her wing and decided to help provide me with, like, additional support at school and kind of tutoring for subjects just to support me. And I remember she also taught history, and we got the grades back for one of my practice exams, and she called me into her classroom to talk about it. And she was like, "Okay, so you got a B. And I was like, oh my God, a B. And she's like, you must be so disappointed. And then I personally wasn't disappointed at the time. I thought a B was great, but because it seemed like she was disappointed, I internalized that. So then moving forward, I was like, anything less than an A is bad. People don't like when you get anything less than perfect.
0: Yeah. And that's a lesson that can so often be drummed into us in school even unconsciously that that that's striving for perfection even though the way the grading systems are designed are partly to do with percentages that only a certain percentage of the country are allowed to get certain grades and yet we can all have that expectation it's yeah it's tough and you've highlighted there as well how how understandable and common it is that when we really struggle with self-worth internally we can externalize that as something that seems easier that if we make who we are about something like grades that's over there and feels more malleable and achievable in some ways than transforming our inner state that can really feel helpful But then, of course, that is still dependent on those grades continuing and the bars that other people are setting in relation to that can throw you off.
2: Yeah, I think it's so important not to, you know, looking back with the benefit of hindsight is obviously 2020, but attaching your worth to something externally While initially it may feel good in the moment and it may feel like you can maintain it, there's always going to be a point when the bubble's going to burst because you can't maintain that high forever. And even when I was getting A's, I remember now this was my final year at uni and I had received my degree grade and I'd received a first class honours, which is the best that you can get. But also underneath that, I had a breakdown of my grades and I had something like two A's, two B's and two C's and I was devastated like the first is the best you can get but because of the breakdown of my grades I was truly devastated and everyone's like congratulating me and all I have is like this pit in the bottom of my stomach like but it wasn't good enough
0: no I can see that and that's part of it isn't it that it can not just feel helpful but it can be very helpful for periods of time to externalize our worth but then when we're not actually dealing with certain core issues then that can rile up and so if you're feeling bad about yourself You can always find examples even in the things we're proud of to undermine your self-worth and like that's such a good example there and I wanted to pick up on something else you said earlier which was about kids not knowing how to approach conversations around grief and a death of a parent which absolutely makes sense and I think you also said that it, it can be the same for adults and I wonder if you've noticed this it's Something that I think is so under-talked about in society that people can even be surprised by how common it is that people have lost a parent at a young age. Is that something you notice when when interacting with people?
2: Yes, definitely. And something else I notice as well is people expecting you to be a certain way because this has happened. and like, oh, you seem so well-adjusted and things like that. And they think that it's a compliment, but really it isn't. And what I also realized, like, th- especially throughout my time with uni was all of these experiences that I was missing out on that I didn't actually realize because I had no concept of them. And so I remember I was doing this promo job with a girl at uni, and she was talking about sharing something with her parents, sharing her grades with her parents. And I was like, oh, okay. And she's like, oh, well, what did your parents think of your grade? And I was like, oh, well, actually, my mom passed away when I was this age. And she's like, oh, so like, who do you tell all this stuff to? And she's was talking about things that she's telling her parents. And I was like, oh, I didn't tell anyone. I didn't, I didn't realize that's what we were doing. And it's just like, oh, even now I'm discovering things. That I'm like, oh, that's, that's what we're supposed to do. And I feel like this whole like, kind of piece of my life while I'm like so self-aware in some areas, it feels like this area where I'm continually learning new things in a really unexpected way. And in some ways that can be really heartbreaking
0: yeah incredibly jarring to have these ideas confronting you of like oh i i didn't even realize i should have been missing that thank thank you for this that's a that's another thing to process now and it also sounds like that could be partly to do with how sort of in the trenches it sounds like you were because of this really work focused mentality that you were like getting to a goal you were having incredible achievements like getting that first class honors and then perhaps just okay, straight on to the next achievement.
2: Yeah, definitely. It was like, okay, like, what's next? What do I focus on next? And then not having anything next was really when I kind of felt my world begin to implode. And even before I had graduated, that whole last year at uni was like the only thing on my mind, apart from obviously passing and getting good grades, the back of my mind was like, what am I actually going to do after this? I have no idea what I'm going to do after this. And more than just maybe the normal fear of, I don't know where to go next was, I don't know where to go next. And also like, I'm going to be homeless if I don't figure it out.
0: Yeah, because you're right. That's such a common part of the uni experience to be like, okay, academia has brought me up to this point. Every stage till now, there's been a next step I've been encouraged to take and has been kind of assumed success. I didn't go through uni myself, but even, you know, I was around enough of that where it's like, okay, well, go to uni. And that's automatically good progress, whether it's right for you or not, go to uni. And then you're hit with, okay. now there isn't the obvious next step. And I would say the bulk of degrees don't have that obvious career path. But then you've also got those additional elements of, okay, but not just what job do I do? Where do I go? Full stop.
2: I hope things have changed in schools now, but I remember certainly when I was at school that It definitely was that path of school, uni, career, kids, that's what your life is. And I recall when one of my friends was like, oh, I'm not going to uni. I don't think it's for me. And feeling really bad for her. I remember at the time being like, no, she doesn't know this is the way. This is what we're supposed to do. And now looking back, I'm like, wow, she really had it together. And also... Like the courage that it must have taken to say like this isn't actually a fit for me this isn't what I want to do because so many people that I went to uni with and then myself when I went back for masters just did it because we felt like that's what we had to do and that's what we were supposed to do.
0: I think you're spot on there and so as you got nearer to graduating and indeed graduating than your masters where were you at mental health wise in terms of okay where where does my life go from here?
2: Yeah it was pretty dire it was pretty bad. My last year of my first degree, the entire year, I was just like in this incredibly heightened state of anxiety. And so I did see therapists, but because of the, depending on where you listen, the NHS, which is like free healthcare in Scotland. And do you have that in Ireland? No. sorry so yeah we have no sorry I didn't mean to
0: sound blunt but I was like if we go into healthcare in Ireland that's going to be a whole conversation (laughs) it's a complex (laughs) one but yeah
2: so yeah having free healthcare is obviously great but the downsides of free healthcare is that they are extremely pushed to capacity and this was even before current events of the world and so I went to the doctors because having had that awareness from school that, okay, like when things are feeling off internally, there's probably something going on there at this point things like Google smartphones were more easily accessible. And I was like, okay, it definitely feels like I have anxiety and depression. And I had gone to a doctor to tell them about this. And I was like, I think I need to see someone. And they tried to prescribe me some pills, which by the way, I don't wanna say that pills aren't helpful for anyone. But for me, I felt like, well, it seems obvious that I have a lot of stuff going on and I need to talk to someone about it. And I went there and I said this and like, oh, well, we, we can't really get in to see anyone right now, but we can prescribe you some of these. I'm like, that's not what I want. And he's like, oh, well, just don't you have like friends you can talk to about this? And I'm like, this isn't the point. And kind of like smirked. And it was like a really negative experience that even now I still recall and like look back on, like you could have like provided so much support and you didn't even just like in a having some empathy, even if there was nothing that you could really do about the situation. And so from that point, I did actually end up, I talked to someone at uni about it and I went to talk therapy, which in some ways was helpful, but also unhelpful because it was funded through a charity. Again, they only had a certain amount of sessions. And then once those sessions were over, you're kind of back where you started. So there was never anything sustainable.
0: Yeah, no, that's really tricky. I know certainly for me, when I went into counselling, I knew that I needed long term and the chances of me getting the particular type and yeah length that I was looking for was going to be almost impossible on the NHS. So ultimately, I went privately. And and I'm aware that is a position of privilege. And even within that, there have been many times when I haven't had the money and we've had to skip a week. And so, yeah, I relate to that a lot. Also, the, I'm still thinking about what you said about them saying, don't you have friends that you could talk to? <laughs> like so inappropriate and you're right the NHS is so stretched but I'd always take put me on a waiting list over go talk to your friends and the impact that could have on them as well yeah Uh, definitely and at this point I think we should circle in with our theme of this concept of a normal life the expectations that can exist around that the pressures that can exist around that concept and so when you look back at where you were at coming near the end of university having certainly plenty of challenges getting the right kind of mental health support how much do you think this idea of what sort of life you should have played into that and to what extent do you feel that that is possible or achievable
2: yeah it affected everything and not only from the perspective of you know what society tells you like this is the path that you're supposed to go through in life but also for me at a young age like seeing my friends have all these experiences that were pretty simple experiences like I remember my friends talking about sleepovers at school and living in a small town where my mom because she been getting progressively more sick was essentially living at the hospital. So on the weekends, my sister and I would actually take it in turns to have sleepovers at the hospital and stay at the hospital for the weekend. And so I'm seeing my friends go out and have sleepovers, and also feeling kind of guilty for thinking this way, like, oh, I wish I could just do what they were doing. And so I wanted a normal life from that aspect, and then I also want a normal life from the aspect of, well, I want to be following this path that society laid out for me because, like, that's what I'm supposed to do. And Certainly, I know that I'm absolutely not alone in that struggle of feeling like, well, this is what we should do. And there's no real point where you're given space to say, but what do you actually want to do? Like if this path wasn't already laid out for you, is this what direction you'd be going in? The amount of people that I've spoken to from my degree who are absolutely not working in that field, who just picked that degree because they needed to pick something like at 17 years old, like having a concept of what you want to do for the rest of your life is something that, I don't know if any of my friends had.
0: Yeah, no, I didn't. I'm someone that's very much had an idea of like the kind of life I wanted to lead, but I still don't think I have the specifics of like what jobs that entails, which is probably part of the reason why I've always been a, a multiple job person. And it is tricky. And I think this idea of what it is to have a normal life can be so pervasive that even when you do find freedom for you it can still be so from the point of view of like how do I meaningfully deviate from the expectations as opposed to something more organic of okay which direction do I want to go in and I run that way it's still like okay how do I how do I kind of curve off this in a way that isn't going to cause too much trouble
2: yeah I think it's just as much about learning who you are and also unlearning what other people expect from you and something that I see from my clients is that even if they have forged their own path and they've discovered what excites them and what lights them up and particularly if they're entrepreneurs I see a lot of resistance to actually talking about what they're doing or sharing what they're doing maybe because other people aren't doing it or even on the other side of that because they're doing so well but also they don't want to trigger anyone else with their success.
0: Yeah. And I can definitely talk to the entrepreneurship piece where you can feel a strong expectation that if you're going to go a certain path and work for yourself, you need to have some kind of instant success. And that can be part of the the pressure of it where you think, okay, I've got to have it all together. And then I can talk about it. And then I can really publicize it. And of course, as a small business owner, you need to be shouting about your work from day one. Like that is part of the marketing. And yeah, it can feel so scary to do that because of these expectations.
2: Yeah, and I have a friend and I know she won't mind me sharing the story. And she, in the pandemic, actually ended up quitting her full-time job to go full-time as an entrepreneur. She's someone that I perceive to be extremely successful. And it's been two years now and she still hasn't told her parents and they still think that she's working at the same job she was working at.
0: Oh, wow. Yeah, I've been there. (laughs) Definitely. And would you be able to share some of how you got to the point now with your work and the wonderful life you've created versus where we left off with your uni?
2: So it really blew up me at the beginning of 2016. I really had a period of intense depression and anxiety where I had extremely bad social anxiety. There was times where I just wasn't leaving the house at all. I'd stopped going to uni um, for my master's. And I'd also lost my job due to my uni scheduling. So it felt like everything was really changing drastically at this point in my life. And eventually it got to the point where I did need to have like, I felt like I needed to have more long-term therapy. And because I felt like my doctors weren't taking me seriously, what ended up actually happening was I took a friend with me And my friend spoke on my behalf and it went from like, we have a waiting list of a year and a half to three weeks later, getting a letter saying, okay, we've got you in somewhere. And I was so excited and looking forward to that. But on the downside, again, like we spoke about earlier, you need to have a good relationship with that therapist. And we did not see eye to eye and I didn't feel like this person respected me or respected what I wanted to share. But that was the catalyst that I needed to look at how happy my life was actually making me. And when I thought about it, I realized I had just been following the path of what I should be doing rather than what I actually wanted to do. And I was like, okay, I have six months left of this degree. I don't want to be in this position in another six months where I'm just continuing to go down this path and be exactly back at the start where I am. That led me into personal development. It led me into learning about conscious manifestation. And it led me to thinking, well, I don't want to go straight into a career. Like I've done my time. I need a break. And... For me, that break looked like moving to Australia for a year, which was initially something I was going to do with a friend. And three weeks before we were due to go, my friend let me know that she would no longer be coming and I should probably go by myself. Solo travel was not even remotely on my radar. And I remember my flatmate at the time being like, well, how are you going to travel alone when you have panic attacks? And that was something that I didn't even consider. So deciding whether to go or not to go is something that really weighed heavily on my mind was something that I was incredibly distraught about. But ultimately, I did decide to go by myself. And one year turned into five years and counting. And it was one of the best decisions I've ever made and a real decision of autonomy and taking charge of my life for myself by myself. And in doing that, I realized how many other people are getting to this point, whether it's going through uni or going through a job or going through a relationship where they feel like they just have to do what's expected of them. And in some ways, playing small, because that's what we're told to do. We're told to just do this. It doesn't really matter about your happiness. Your happiness is secondary to doing what's expected. And I wanted to peel back the layers of that and say, well, what would actually happen if we deepened our relationships with ourselves first before other people and allowed ourselves to ask ourselves the question that will lead us to not just living normal normal lives, but extraordinary lives.
0: Mm. Yes, love it. And it's so true that I've talked about on the show before how there is this crowdsourced myth of what normal is, you know, both in terms of what it is to be a normal person and what it is to have a normal life. And the closest way I could describe what that actually is is a kind of average concept, that it's a sort of mushed together middling of expectations that, yeah, can be playing small, can be playing very safe and isn't about you, is about an average of other people's expectations. And I think normal can be held up as a good word. And I don't think average is the same, which is why I use that advisedly. I I certainly... I'm yet to meet anyone that's like, yes, I want to be average. That's my whole thing, you know, and <laughs> particularly when we're all unique people. I don't even know if that's at all possible. So, yeah, so agree with you there. And I also think what you shared about moving to Australia really articulates how empowering it can be to take a decision that is is truly yours. And we can often talk more about, OK, the move and what's better about your life here or what's changed since you made... Any number of decisions in your life, but even just making the decision, I think, is so powerful in itself. Where you're choosing you and what is right for me, and even just doing that part can, I think, have such an impact on on your self esteem and, in many cases, start a domino effect that we can feel selfish for making choices that are right for us because they can be against other people's expectations, but those same people that may not even realize they're having these kind of narrow expectations of us, they, of course, the people in our life want us to be happy. And so making these decisions, I think, does domino when you get better at, okay, how do I look after me? And if you can look after you, you can often be really good at looking after others.
2: Truly. And It's a shame because, you know, we have these intuitive feelings like leading us one certain way. And we're like, oh, I don't know if this is fear. I don't know if this is my intuition. But actually, the more that you can trust those intuitive hits and say, oh, wait, this is actually turning out for me, the more you trust yourself. So maybe it's in small ways to begin with. But the more that you keep those promises to yourself and actually trust yourself to know yourself best and what works for you best, the more it's not necessarily easier. But the more you're able to follow those decisions that are internal rather than the external decisions.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And you are also very much an example of someone that has turned what you've learned into helping other people. Would you mind sharing a bit about the work you do now? And in particular, I know a big part of that is helping people identify self-limiting beliefs.
2: Yeah. So now in my work as a mindset and manifestation coach is about working with people to help them expand their realities and also to access that innate magic that is within them. And I like before how you touched on kind of that concept of average, which is this amalgamation of everyone else's beliefs. So, so much of manifestation is the unlearning process and is about okay, yes, this is who I am. This is who I want to be. This is what I want to have as a result of who I want to be. And then after that, what we realize is, is like all of these limiting beliefs, all of these limiting thoughts come in, which often are just that, are the amalgamation of other people's beliefs and what has been projected onto us. And although we actually may not have been responsible for putting those beliefs there in the first place, we're actually ultimately the only ones who have the power to make different choices or to change these beliefs moving forward and that can be one empowering and two extremely confronting
0: yeah absolutely because it's challenging what we believe is possible I think is a big part of it if you are looking at life through the frame of what you've been raised to think is achievable then even when you can be expanding that frame that can still be like oh overwhelming
2: yeah it's it's definitely overwhelming in some aspects to begin with and especially when you're just getting started and you're finding your fitting and you still have all of this fear of am I making the right decision what I often find is when people come to me and this is a very common thing that people come to me with is I don't know what I want and when we really get down to the heart of it I would say pretty much every single person I've worked with has actually known what they've wanted it's about giving themselves the permission to go after what they truly want to do
0: yeah Yeah, I definitely notice the same and they can often identify the opposite, which I find interesting. Like we can have such a sort of negativity bias, which is part of like human innate survival skills. And so if you often tell them, "Okay, well, what things do you not want or what things do you fear if you make changes in your life, then you can often strangely get to the answers of what they want via all the things they're they're fearing if they actually go after it.
2: So true. And, you know, focusing on that fear, obviously, we don't want to live in that space of this is what I don't want constantly. What we don't realize is this is actually an incredibly powerful tool. And I like to use the example of you wanting to find a new career, a new job. And if you don't actually do the work and have the conversation with yourself to find out what you dislike about where you are currently, then there's a high chance that you could end up moving into another company and having those exact same struggles, those same challenges and those things that you didn't like. So actually being honest with ourselves about what we don't like and what isn't fulfilling us is extremely powerful as well. And it is interesting that it can be easier to say, this is what I don't like, this is what I don't want, rather than to say, this is what lights me up. This is what sets my soul on fire. This is so exciting. I think it it feels scarier to say that in some ways.
0: And also I think part of that is it can feel so unfamiliar that when you're really in the depth of mental illness, the idea that hope and a place that you exist beyond this and where things do feel different can seem so inaccessible that when you even try and think about it, it's like, well, no, that's, that then feels irrational. It's almost insulting how far away it feels you know, I think that's a big part of the recovery process and the unlearning of, okay, certain experiences did shape me, but they don't need to define me. And, you know, I think that's a big part of like the personal journey that you describe, that we can get all sorts of incredible support, but we also need to be at the centre of that. There's still work for us to do, there's still choices for us to make. And I'm really glad there's people out there like you that help empower people towards those choices.
2: Yeah, and I think having experienced my own, you know, mental health, and I don't even wanna say issues, I don't love that word. (laughs) Having had my own experiences with mental health and also with chronic illness, which was also contributing to my anxiety and depression at that time because I had undiagnosed chronic illness and was also trying to get support from doctors for that at that time, which these things playing in the background is that I actually began to mistrust myself And I was like, well, if they're saying that nothing's wrong, maybe I am not like, you know, maybe things aren't as bad as I think it is, this is what people are saying. And even now, though my chronic illness has been diagnosed as endometriosis and I have an awareness of anxiety, sometimes I find myself like, slipping back into that, like, I'll be, like, crippled in pain, like, I need to get to the gym today, I have to go, like, it's probably not even that bad. And then I'll talk to my naturopath, just like, oh, have you been having any flare-ups recently? I was like, yeah, you know, I was like, I couldn't get out of bed for a few hours, but it's fine. I'm like, wait, no, that wasn't fine, that was Mm -hmm. actually really challenging. And so even, you know, having done the work or having gone to therapy or feeling like you may have moved on from some challenges or from experiences and things in your life, There will still be these moments that you'll come back to, I think, no matter where you're at in your journey or no matter what development you've done, there'll still be those moments that take you by surprise every now and then. And it's not that you're going backwards in your thinking or going backwards in your experiences. It's that these are still part of your journey. They just no longer define you.
0: So true. Um, Before we start to round up, I want to ask you a bit about manifestation, because One of the reasons I was so keen to talk to you is often conversations around this can be so vague and I think that can be off-putting and partly I think when you've been through certain challenges in your life it can be sold in a way that feels far too simplistic of like insulting almost to think okay if if I think about what I want more then my life will be transformed and I think the way that I've made sense of this in my own head is less so the kind of law of attraction idea and more a kind of what I would describe as like a law of justification so the things that we believe and really cling to are often played out in our experiences and so what I mean by that is if you can get to a place where you do believe certain opportunities are real and are accessible to you you're far more likely to actually go and apply for that job or start that business than if you're like, no, there's no way. Me? I could never, right?
2: That's so true. And actually, I was just talking about this on my Instagram stories yesterday, is that... It's frustrating to me that often there's a lot of context missing from the manifestation space, and in my work it's so important to bring some of that context back in. And so what I was talking about yesterday was the expression thoughts become things, and when I first heard that, I was severely depressed, anxious, and also had intrusive thoughts, so I'm like, this is not helpful information for me. (laughs) And I think it can go one of two ways, in that you hear thoughts become things and you may be having a lot of like negative thinking and ruminating and you're like oh my goodness I'm creating this in my life I'm terrible and that sends you down a guilt and shame spiral or on the other end you're like okay I'm having my positive thoughts like why why isn't my life changing yet and so to add context back into that expression it's kind of like you described in that we are living in this feedback loop where actually what happens is your thoughts are repeated over time which inform your beliefs Your beliefs are impacting your potential and what you think is actually possible for you and as a result of your potential it impacts the way that you act so no one negative thought alone isn't gonna ruin your life but if that transpires into a belief and not necessarily even a belief that you hold but a belief that someone else has held that you have now adopted of one of your own you can see how that can impact you and i don't like to say things like it's your fault or the universe is going to punish you because that simply isn't true and it's not helpful and actually is incredibly harmful to say these kinds of things to people but ultimately to actually empower you in your decisions in that okay I can see that how oh, this would work on one end of the scale and now I can see how it would work on the other end of the spectrum and when working with my clients it's not like they are like Ooh, input positive thought, input positive belief, input positive potential, input positive action. Actually, most of us are moving in between both of these realms all the time, of having a mix of the two. It's just about bringing a conscious awareness to not only what we're thinking, but more importantly, how's that making us feel? Like, are we being good friends to ourselves? One of the most important things I learned from therapy was like, I did actually end up having a few sessions of CBT, which is cognitive behavioral therapy, and I learned something about validifying how true your thoughts are and like giving them a percentage of how real they actually were and having some like catastrophic thoughts of like, well, well, everyone hates me or I'm so worthless. And then like, is this like the ultimate truth? And being able to actually go through that process is actually something that I still bring into manifestation of like, is it actually possible though? And even when it comes to like, ooh, like I want to reach this level of success in my business and you're like, there's no way it's going to happen. It's never going to happen for me. And then you're like, but other people have done it. Am I so far away from that person? Could I get to this level? Could I get to this level and graduating people through stages of belief rather than going from I hate myself to anything can happen because that simply isn't realistic for most people.
0: Wonderfully expressed. I I so love that. And you're right, that context is so important. And also, yeah, avoiding blame because that just short circuits everything. If we start blaming ourselves for the place we're at in our life, we are very unlikely to make changes. And ongoing thing on the show is me being very anti all kinds of binary thinking to the point where even now where I bring it up, I'm like, oh, here we go again. (laughs) Back on his trope. But I do think this is a good example where we can fall into this idea of a good life and a bad life. And the good life is the normal one. The bad life is whatever we're doing, (laughs) it feels like at that point. And rather than accrediting this idea of manifestation with, oh, you've you've manifested the good life or the bad life. Instead, I think it's a lot more helpful and real and true to look at it in terms of changes. So am I making positive changes in my life? And that's the thing to take ownership of and be responsible for.
2: Yeah, I think that's a really beautiful perspective. And You know, not for everyone, the concept, well, the term manifestation will resonate, but I think conscious creation is something that we can all get behind on. Can I make some changes in my life? Do I want to make some changes in my life? Am I the one that has the power to change things? And even if we do, you know, have other people to support us on our journey, whether that's therapists, friends, family members, peers, whoever, ultimately we're the ones who have that autonomy and have that power to make the decision. And so for me, manifestation is... At the core of it is about the relationships that you have between your subconscious and conscious mind is the relationship you have with yourself and how well you know yourself and are willing to allow yourself to actually be human and then also the relationships that we have with everyone else as a result of that.
0: There we go. Be present and do changes. And we will wrap up there. Thank you so much for joining me. It's been brilliant chatting to you. If people want to find more of your work, where should they go?
2: So you can come hang out with me on Instagram and TikTok at Fias Alter underscore. I also have a podcast, the Manifest Edit podcast, and I have a free training on the power of subconscious manifestation, which goes a bit deeper into some of the things that we talked about today and how to begin building that relationship between your conscious and subconscious mind that you can check out by heading to link in the show notes.
0: Love it. You're brilliant. Thank you so much.
2: Yeah. And thank you.
0: Thank you for listening. For a list of our recommended resources, visit mentalpodcast.co.uk and remember we are in no way a substitute for qualified counselling or other mental health support. Our show is edited and produced by the brilliant Pete Murta with licensed music by Netsky. Links in the description. Speak to you next Thursday and remember you are enough